This story is read by Ginger Bloom, entitled The Launch. I remember thinking, I don't get it. I didn't hear a fire alarm go off, yet my eighth grade teacher was lining us up in single file and telling us to go outside. We shuffled toward the sunny side of the schoolyard that May 5th morning in 1961. By the time we reached the sidewalk on the northeast corner of the schoolyard, Principal Barry's voice commanded us, May I have your attention, please? In exactly 20 minutes and counting, you will witness a first in American history. Alan Shepard, the first American to fly in space, will be commanding the Freedom 7 space capsule, which will be launched from Cape Canaveral. Fueled by sheer adrenaline, my eyes shot skyward. Despite the glaring sun, I was determined to stay focused on the eastern horizon. I was old enough to know that I had no excuse to miss the forming of history. Through smarting eyes, I occasionally captured a keyword from the principal as he kept us updated. When I heard, all systems are go, my eyes narrowed and I tried to block out the kids who were fooling around. Suddenly, we heard the countdown had stopped and was being reset to minus 30 minutes. I wondered how someone can simply change an official clock and start over again. The principal told us a faulty instrument in the Mercury space capsule had caused the scientists in the blockhouse to temporarily delay the launch. As the countdown was restarted at 30 minutes and counting, the hard edge of excitement subsided and my interest waned. The next time I paid attention, I realized the principal had hooked up a radio to the school's speaker system. Now we could hear the official sounding voices of the newsmen drone on about the launch. It was odd how the morning had begun on a monumental note and was now turning into a major source of impatience. By the age of 12, I suspect every kid knows the news is boring and learns to tune it out. Standing outside the pink stucco school building, many of us question whether the principal will abandon his plan to include us in the making of American history. Most of us are hot and sticky and long to be sent back to the air-conditioned classroom. For some reason, I remember holding a hot pink hibiscus flower I had snatched on the way outside. Weird how I later remember insignificant things on such an historic day. I recall watching a small family of ants explore the outer edges of the flower's petals and the velvet center. The ants looked as small and helpless to me as I imagined we might look to someone else out in outer space. As if hit by an electric impulse, my attention is instantly reclaimed by the sky when the radio announcer says in a deliberate voice, we are approaching final countdown, folks. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. Searching skyward, we collectively gasped as puffy white streak became visible overhead. That's it, I remember thinking. Then to my amazement, just above the trail, I see a toy-like craft divide into two as it crests in the Florida sky. We all begin cheering and clapping our hands as if we were players in a finely choreographed dance. I, for one, feel oddly important, being a crucial witness of the Freedom 7 launch. By the time I get home from school, the black and white instant replays on the Motorola TV seem both strangely familiar and oddly unique. That night at supper, my father unknowingly steals my thunder as I recount the morning's events. After claiming my fame as a witness to the liftoff, he casually remarks he too had seen the launch, but the truth be told, he had not only seen the launch, he had felt the ground tremble beneath his feet. 
He had experienced the blinding light as the fire under the rocket engines was ignited just outside the blockhouse window at Cape Canaveral. Dad tells my brother and me that he had been invited as one of the few civilian guests to watch the launch from the safety of the Cinder blockhouse. It was located a few hundred yards from the 50-story launch pad. While my dad describes his momentous morning at Cape Canaveral, I simultaneously envision myself growing in instant status amongst my friends at school. You see, eighth grade had been an awkward year. I had struggled with the confusing issue of why girls could be smart or pretty, but never both. I guess I was hungry for anything that might prove a little ego boost. While it's true, I felt special because of my dad for a while. It is also true my fame was as fleeting as the rocket's trail. As an adult, I realized fame through association never endures. That was an important lesson I learned outside the books of eighth grade. To put it succinctly, I eventually learned to go after knowledge. It is much more permanent than fame or beauty.